let's call it like a dance depression. I want to let everybody know it's normal. And you're going to have it a few times in life. And it's not dance. It's a loss of identity. Whether you're a professional dancer or just started falling in love with ballet dance, welcome to the Ballet Dance Life podcast. Here, we are diving deep into all facets of ballet dance world that cannot be found in a workshop or an audience seat. Every week, you will find new, honest, thought-provoking, inspiring, and educational conversation with top leading professionals of our industry. I'm your host, Jana Komornitska, and I'm honored that you are part of our dance tribe. Hello, everyone. Yes, yes, this is happening, and this is happening now. Our today's guest is amazing and revolutionary Sohaila Salimpur. Sohaila grew up caught between two worlds, the strict Muslim household of her father and the three-spirited hippie fantasy land of her mother, renowned ballet dancer Jamila Salimpur. By the time she was 14, Sohaila was the sole breadwinner for herself and her mother, traveling across the United States on the weekends, teaching her mother's dance method and creating her own revolutionary approach to ballet dance. She also lived and worked as a professional entertainer in the Middle East with residences in some of the finest venues. She worked with music ensembles of over 40 musicians, Upon returning to San Francisco Bay Area in the late 90s, Sohada returned to teaching regular dance classes and developing the first ever certification program in Middle Eastern dance. Today, the Salimpur School has five branches run by licensed instructors in the United States, Europe and Egypt, as well as a thriving global community of thousands of students, including the new Sohaila Salampur Institute of Online Education. In 2019, the Salampur School began its residency at Mills College, where Sohaila is also a professor. She teaches core dimension and embodied movement in the Department of Dance and Theatre. On our podcast, we had so many guests who were and are still students of Sohaila Salimpur and they are shining bright in our global ballet dance community. And I'm so happy that finally we are featuring Sohaila herself, such an important contributor to our ballet dance community, as well as amazing artist herself and uh, having such an interesting history of uh, being the second generation of ballet dancer, but also having a daughter who also continues her work. And it was so exciting and so inspiring to talk to her and to listen to her experience. And I'm pretty sure you will be as much inspired as I was right after this talk. And so many unexpected uh, stories and uh, ideas that will stay in your heart for sure for a long time after you listen this interview. I know many of you were waiting for this conversation for a long time, so now, without any further delays, let's dive in. Hello, dear Suhaila. I'm so happy to finally greet you at Ballet Dance Life podcast, and I'm very excited to have this conversation today with you. We featured already so many of your students that I feel like we definitely should have done it earlier with you, but now it will be very interesting to see it uh, from perspective of like listening to your students and their successes and now like talking to you. I'm really very excited and uh, thank you so much for taking time and sharing it with us today. And thank you for having me, really. Usually I start our interviews with the question of how did everything started uh, for person there in terms of their ballet dance journey. For you, I know it started really early and one of your first performances were like when you were two years old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think honestly, the answer to that is it started in my mother's <laughs> in vitro. Yes. Um, 
And I, the first performance I had, it, it was right before my second birthday, yes. Mm. So I wasn't two yet, but I was almost two. <laughs> do you remember it or you remember mostly by people's stories and photographs? Or do you remember that moment? <laughs> you know, I, I have a lot of young memories, which I, I have a lot of memory of myself as a baby, as a child. As, um, and I don't necessarily remember the moments, but I remember how I felt. Mm. So I can tell you how I felt. It was um, a, a, a time when I would be dancing was when I felt the possibilities of happiness and possibilities of freedom and possibilities of expression that I had never felt before. And I remember that as a young two-year-old feeling, oh, there's, there's hope. Yeah. <laughs> That's very interesting uh, because your mother was very uh, successful ballet dancer too. And how for you uh, growing up, did you feel uh, lucky to have uh, possibly some guidance into this world or did you feel pressured? Because probably as a child and also a child who felt love uh, with dancing and got excited also about dancing, you probably heard a lot of comments from people, oh, it's a future dancer, future dancer. So how for you, did you feel it as a um, blessing or did you feel like, oh, pressure that you are daughter of famous ballet dancer? Well, I think that what people forget about my life is that there's the whole other half of my parent, which was my Middle Eastern father. So my mother, yes, she was this famous belly dancer, but my father was a, a, a Middle Eastern man. <laughs> and so I, and, and so I, I wasn't allowed to become a dancer and dancing was looked down upon. Um, I was told I was like, not just dancing was bad, but um, it was something in our culture that like women of questionable morals, they do. So when you come from a Middle Eastern family, it's not a good thing that you want to be a dancer. And I remember my aunties, uh, my aunts and my grandmother, dancing was a part of what their therapy was. Like in the Middle East, you know, women get together <coughs> and they dance for each other. And this is how dancing is passed on. And they would wait for the men to leave in the morning. And then they would close the, the curtains in the living room and they would move the coffee table over and they would dance for each other and they would dance for each other and they would take care of the babies and they would be cooking and they would be crying and they would be just, it was their therapy, you know? And then before the men would come back, they would, without words too, they would open the curtain, move the coffee table back and everybody would like go inside. And, you know, it was, so dancing for me was, um, a very, you know, uh, was two sides. You, I had the cultural aspects of the reality of what being a dancer is in a Middle Eastern family. And then I had this other side with my mother where, you know, she didn't believe in babysitters. So she would bring me with her when she taught classes and I would sit in the corner and I would play with my dolls and I would watch, but I saw this this contrast and contradiction of worlds very early on. Um, my mother was not allowed to teach me to dance. That was like a, a fight between her and my father. So I just watched. I wasn't taught by my mother. I just watched old fashioned way. And so one day I said, mom, I have a surprise for you. And she was like, what is it? And I said, put some music on. And so she put music on and I came out of the bathroom, dancing into the living room. And she was like, oh my God. <laughs> and then that's how it started. But she never taught me. But how old you were? Two, right before my second birthday. And then the reason why I was even allowed to be with my mother and her troop was because my father thought it was okay, at least we're just for Americans, you know. We're just dancing for non-Arabs, non-Middle Easterners, because then it would bring the family name down, you know. So he was okay with it because also, you know, at least I wasn't with a babysitter. I was with my mom, so it was okay, you know. 
But yeah, it was a different experience for me. <laughs> that was unexpected <laughs> because I actually was curious to ask uh, because I, I know that you're of uh, Persian-American descent and uh, in uh, like Persian community, I used to work a little bit with Persian community and I remember they on one hand loved ballet dancing, but there is also very much resistance towards balance and i'm talking of course about persian community in canada like not in <laughs> in iran like uh, immigrants uh, but uh, it felt more resistance than for instance with arabic community so i actually was curious to ask you about that uh, but then you kind of persians are uh, middle eastern they are and even you know my also my family they're muslim they're muslims you know and so there's this connection and in there's and they love arabic music and the quran is read and spoken in arabic and you know so there is so much that's intertwined and the persian community loves arabic music like he loves it you know they but they're still middle eastern and it's still um you know my family was very very actually my family was very religious so it was uh yeah, it was difficult, even though my father was a drummer and my mother was a dancer, so they met in the nightclubs together. But there's still, you know, it's still different. Like when my mother and my father got married, my father told her, you're done with the nightclubs. If you step foot in the nightclub again, I will break both of your legs. And that was it for her. She she didn't really have a, um, a choice. She didn't retire. She was forced to retire, you know. And then she was pregnant right away. So the thought of, the, you know, your wife, your sister, your daughter becoming a belly dancer, that's not an option. Mm. You know. Well, this brings me to another question that uh, right now I cannot not ask. So how was the development for you of your establishing your interest in dance and claiming your interest in dance uh, throughout your uh like childhood and uh, more uh, adult years and then getting closer to the idea that you actually want to make it a profession so how was it in terms of this uh, like family environment if you don't uh, mind sharing well my, my father became very sick when i was three years old he had a brain tumor and then he died when i was nine so my father's death was the the turning point in the possibilities of my career in dancing because it, I think if he was alive, it wouldn't have been an option. Like, um, And my father's side of the family, when I started getting older and they saw more and more of an interest, they just cut me off, you know. So I really didn't have a relationship with my father's side of the family um, and especially, you know, becoming a professional belly dancer, that was not something they were proud of. And it was not something that they understood really, you know, as an art form. I think now I I'm, I'm close now with certain members of my father's side of the family. We're all more mature. We're all, you know, older, my cousins very close with, and, but just a certain section, you know, and, um, we, they see me, they know me, they see my values, they see my artistry, they see my, you know, how I've run my career, my life. And so they have, they're so proud of me. Um, but when you're younger and you're starting out and you're working in a nightclub, um, that's not something they're proud of, no. <laughs> mm. So, yeah. Yeah, interesting. But it's uh, definitely interesting to see this huge contrast little inside one family and i can only imagine like for you like even forming your own understanding of dance uh, in this very conflicting two conflicting messages uh, probably was uh, a tricky situation let's say <laughs> well yeah and you know it's like the contrast between like because i was i was when I was raised in the house, nobody spoke English. Like, yeah, I was in America, but I didn't know it. Like, nobody spoke English. And nobody, everybody was, you know, you have the same, you have the spices, you have the smells, you have the sounds, you have the music of like, you know, you're not. And the only hint of that you are 
in um, America or whatever that whatever that meant in the 60s and 70s was when you leave the house you know and so when I started going to school and my first my first day of school my grandmother was so worried that somebody would put the evil eye on me that she hennaed my hands and my feet like hennaed like in uh-huh. in tattoos and markings that would ward off the evil eye you know and I was so embarrassed because nobody else had henna on their hands. So I sat on my hands like the whole day. And I was like, because it's the contrast between the world that you're living in in your home and then the world that's outside. It's just so huge, you know, and my family was also very, you know, very superstitious. And so they were worried about the evil eye. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so and you can't, you know, these conversations are very I think we we have them more now because we're talking about you know different cultures in the melting pot of what the world has become but uh, when I was growing up it I've definitely stood out just my name stood out <laughs> for you uh taking later class I assume later you actually did take classes with your mother and uh, not only no no, I mean, no, I, I started assisting my mother early on. I mean, I watched her classes, mm-hmm. but my mom didn't teach me how to. It's I, it's really interesting that the tradition in my family was passed on, I think, very, uh, very like, you know, like like the, the ritual that it is from like mother to daughter, Pat, but never like a teaching. I ha- it's it's similar to how she taught me how to cook. You know, my mother taught me how to cook. She never taught me. She said, just watch me. So I would sit in the kitchen and I would assist her. You know, I would like chop this and do that. But she never taught me anything. She didn't. She just said, just watch. Watch how. And so I learned this rhythm. I learned this flow. I learned this timing, you know, not a recipe, you know. And and she taught me how to dance the same way because she didn't teach me. And then what she did is she said she had me when I was nine years old, I started assisting her. So I was her assistant at nine years old. And so I was in the center of the class, in the middle, assisting. So, yeah. But assisting then, like you mean doing movements uh, with, with uh, everyone or assisting like putting music on oh, yeah. and off? So. <laughs> no, no, no. Assistant like in the middle of the class being the example. And then when I was 14, she she just retired and gave me all her classes. That was it. So, and then I was doing every, everything. By the time I was 14, I was touring, teaching workshops, classes, supporting the family 100%. Ah, that's so interesting. But, okay, I understand uh, learning to cook by watching and, like, doing little things, huh? Uh, because it's more like memory, like, let's say, how much to put this or that in which order. But dancing, like... It's not like you can learn dancing by watching. You still need to put it in your body. So I like, was it from uh, those? I don't know. Possibly like f- what you were mentioning before this uh, family tra- women tradition to dance at home, or was you trying all those movements that you saw on your own? Like because it's not like you watched and then you exactly did perfectly all movements, right? To able to assist already. I was little. You know, I was little. And then the other thing my mother did, though, is that she had me she had me taking tap classes. She had me taking jazz classes. She had me taking ballet classes. She had me in all these classes. So I was learning how to move. I was learning how to dance. I was learning how to count. I was learning how, to, you know, the structure of dance I got outside, like in all these classes and all this Western form that my mother had me taking. So to break down what she was doing. And, you know, I was, when you're little and you're hearing, okay, you know, step on your right foot, left foot on the ball of the foot, pivot your left hip in clockwise, step on the foot and then shift your weight, the ball of the right foot. I mean, this is what you're hearing, you know? So this is, it's not, it's not like my aunties where there's no description. This, I was there with her playing with my dolls while she was teaching class, you know? So, yeah, but it was never formal. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> and then the, the the information that I was learning from other dance forms, you know, as I was growing up, was really filling out things that were missing, actually, in belly dance. Because, remember, this was the 60s. Mm-hmm. There was no 
teaching. There was like a big, a big description was twist your hips like the inside of a washing machine. Oh my God. That was like the biggest breakdown you would ever get. Like there wasn't like how we have this incredible now way of describing movement and muscles and breath and we have understanding of anatomy and physiology. That wasn't the way it was yeah. <laughs> at all. Yeah. Yeah. Starting to teach at 14 years old a bunch of classes. Uh, did you feel pressure in terms like you were very young and most of the people probably whom you taught were much older than you? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of pressure, actually. There was a, <clears throat> there was a feeling of pressure on two sides, one from my family, because I had to take care of my family, you know, and the other side was from the community because I'm Jamila's daughter. So all of a sudden, what am I going to do? You know? And then the second thing was that I was so young, there was a resistance. So I had, I had to really win everybody's hearts and I had to be, you know, 300 times more present and responsible and capable than I think somebody much older than me. Yeah. Mm. Um, and how did you figure out how to deal with that pressure? Well, you know, I didn't have a choice, you know, so I think I had to learn how to cope um, at a very young age, because remember she, my mother had me assisting her at nine. So, and my father died at nine. So all I had was the dance. All I had was my mother. All I had was the community. All I had, that was like the, the family, the stability, the grounding that I had as a child. And, um, I had, that was, that was, that was what my mother prepared for me it was like my destiny you know so I had to I had to um be very strong and and when my dad died being so young you grow up very quickly you know I want to jump a little bit forward uh because I know there is so much on <laughs> every moment and stage of your dance career but uh I just want to go through some um key points uh Oh, even although like jumping through something that we may dig even no deeper, problem. but uh, <laughs> I want to jump forward a little bit because at some point you actually decide uh, to go into really like more performing career and you went to Middle East, right? Mm -hmm. So how did it feel for you uh, to, because you were talking about this contrast of living in America, but seeing the world inside your house and then going out uh, even to school it was very different. But then now going to the Middle East that had some, uh, probably a lot of similarities with the culture that you grew up in your home, but at the same time probably had many different contrasts too because of like difference of in time, let's say, also in your status because you were going there like to... Uh, as a dancer already at that time. So how did it feel uh, for you? Well, um, so when I graduated high school, you know, in back in the day, if you were going to be a professional belly dancer, that meant you were going to go to nightclubs. Like it, there wasn't, uh, there, that was what you did, you know, and that was the goal. And you wanted to get working with an Arabic band because that was, you know, considered at that time, the height of like professionalism art artistry to go work with Arabic bands. And in the eighties, cause I graduated high school in 1985, we started having really great bands in this country, in Canada. And, you know, they were starting to, you know, great nightclubs were opening up in London and Paris. And then there was, there were other places other than the Middle East to get great music. Right. So I was really lucky because there was a, a nightclub in Beverly Hills called Biblos, but it was all Lebanese and all Arabic bands. And so then from there, but it was like being in the Middle East. I would also be going back and forth to the Middle East. So for the next decade of my career, I was, even if I was in this country, I was working in <laughs> nightclubs 
there were all, the audience was all Middle Eastern Arabs, the bands were all Arabs. So it's interesting because um, even when so when I went to the Middle East, yes, I was in the Middle East, but I was in nightclubs that were exactly the same nightclubs like in America. <laughs> so it was it was fascinating, you know, to like have have this experience because my mom didn't have this experience. It was all Americans in the audience, you know, in the fifties and forties and fifties. Um, but it's interesting that you asked that question because it was really hard for me at the beginning because I, I, you know, I grew up with my mother and, you know, once my father passed away, this whole, my mother was such an artist and so, um, revered for her accomplishments. And I grew up thinking, no, this is an art form, you know, no, really it's an art form, you know? And Balanat was such a nurturing, loving, you know, beautiful community to be raised in as a child and grow up. And then it's not that I forgot, but when you're in an Arabic nightclub and you're working in Arabic nightclubs or in the Middle East or in this country, you are you are slammed with the reality of the way the perception in which the eyes are looking at you. And I saw all my uncles, <laughs> they're the same eyes, <laughs> my uncles, my cousins, my father, my grandfather's, like all the eyes were the same. And I thought, oh my gosh, like it, it, it was a little difficult at the beginning. I went through kind of a, a depression and I thought, what am I doing this for? You know, like, you, you know, you're looked at by the community, like you're just a whore and, you know. But I know who I am, but but why how is this happening? I think I'm this artist, <laughs> you know, like in other art forms, you know, you're treated as an artist and now by my people. <laughs> I'm just so I had a really I had a I think I had a total existential crisis. <laughs> I was, and I had to rebuild my love for myself first, my love for my culture, my community, my love for the dance, the art, I had to rebuild it, really rebuild it, and then remind myself, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, I'm dancing for myself, this is what makes me happy, this is my expression, you know, like, so, but it, it's, a, it's a good question, because I was totally depressed, <laughs> and I, I kind of quit for, uh, I was like, this is, I'm just, miserable you know I was like having a really hard time making peace with it and then I I decided because remember I'm 18 19 that I was going to build a glass wall between me and the audience so they can't hurt me and I built glass wall and then it helped me perform that was rough it's uh yeah that's a good question can you Give some tips or suggestions for everyone who may be going through a performance depression. I know right now it may be not the most popular question because we are in this lockdown situation. So most of performances are cut out and most of performers actually missing them. But in, whenever we come back to active performing and in the past, uh, I know many performers go through this specifically because of attitude from audience, regardless of the country. But if you're talking about nightclub, uh, career or activity uh, it very often hits and it's very difficult and I love how you mentioned that you started with rebuilding love to yourself because that's what we lose first of all in this situation can that you, was number one yeah can you maybe give a couple like maybe at least one you know starting point starting step of how the person can at least start moving towards that goal because right now maybe someone going through this uh, depression not because of uh, nightclub performances but with this uh, pandemic situation it also hits a lot of people like to to put them in a low <laughs> mindset let's say yeah. but with that uh, idea of going th overcoming performance depression and trying to rebuild love to yourself and to yourself as a performer maybe you have some tips or suggestions at least a couple you know as a starting point for yeah. someone who is listening right now well performance depression um or dance let's let's call it like a dance depression or performance depression i i want to let everybody know it's normal and you're going to have it a few times in life um and it's not dance 
its identity. It's a depression, not depression, it's, not, it's, a, it's a loss of identity. And we're going through it now with the pandemic. Like everything we thought was our dance life, what's going to happen when we can see each other again? It's a loss of identity. Um, so we're having, you know, and so when I say the love of myself first, you know, we, we, we're all like when I, when I had my daughter, I, it was another loss of identity. I'm, I'm creating this new identity, but I lost this old identity of Suhaila in the night, sexy Suhaila in the nightclubs, you know, it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now I'm this mother. And the, what does that mean to me? Oh my God. And I, I would look at some of my costumes and I would say, I can never wear these costumes ever again. So, so it's, this, it's about identity. It's about self-worth. It's about self-value. It's about priorities. And so if you just understand that these are going to come in a few packages in your life it's not like the first time it happens I think dancers go oh my god I don't I should quit I don't love dancing anymore it's over you know but that's not true it, you it's it's not true it's an opportunity to renegotiate and reevaluate the love and how you love yourself because the dance is not external it's internal you see so if you look at dance like this cup, how am I going to love this cup again? Well, I don't care about this cup. No, it's, it's dance is the relationship with self. So when you go through an identity crisis or depression from dance, it's really, it's all internal. So you have to, you have to strip everything off. Everything you thought, the music you thought you liked, well, maybe you don't like it anymore. Maybe you do. Maybe you like more music. Maybe you like less music. The costumes I wore, maybe I don't want to wear those anymore. But maybe there is something I want to wear. Maybe I don't want to wear a costume at all, but I still want to dance. Maybe I just want to create costumes, and that's my way back through the dance. Like, you know, so there's so many opportunities, but what you think you were, you have to honor and you have to love, but just know that that's a moment in time that's over and you have to renegotiate and re-meet and re relearn and find, and it's all you, you know. That was so powerful, oh my God. The dance depression as an opportunity to renegotiate basically your identity or your definition of your identity yeah the dance is not external the dance is you you are the every move you make is a story you're telling wow that's uh that's really powerful um in terms of your decision of uh, stop performing in the middle east and then uh, uh focusing more on the uh, teaching what was for you the turning point well you know we always have to ask our ourselves why right that's always the why what is the why behind we do everything right and for me when I was working in the Middle East and I was on stage I love the applause I love the standing ovations I loved being a soloist because I got all the attention. I love the music. Oh, I love the costume. Oh my God. I just loved it all. And then there comes a moment where you, you know, what, what's the why again, the identity, right? And I started to, I, I write, you know, in a diary, but it's not a diary. They're morning pages, you know, like every morning I just kind of dump, you know, like dump. And I was looking through my morning pages and it was, you know, oh, I want to create an environment and a community where, you know, people can feel. And here is the word that kept coming up, safe. Safe to create. Oh, I want a studio where dancers come in and feel safe. And then again, more and safe. And this other word and safe. And I thought, you know, I really need to focus on a place I would like to go to. Like, you know, because I didn't feel safe. So the reality was, here I was in this world, I had created this world where I didn't feel safe emotionally, 
I didn't feel safe spiritually. I didn't feel safe culturally, you know, and even artistically, you know, you, you have to, you know, there's certain things, you know, I couldn't, I, I started to feel like I couldn't experiment creatively because I had these responsibilities as the belly dancer to be the belly dancer, you know. So I thought that in order to save my love for the dance, which was really me, that I would have to walk off this nightclub stage. And the only way that I was going to find what I wanted to do was in knowing what I didn't want to do anymore. And so I wasn't sure exactly the direction, but what was, you know, pulling me was this desire to create the school and honor my mother's work, continue my mother's work, and create a safe place for people that want to move their body and come through this art and this cultural experience with it um, and create a platform for that. So that was my driving that was my driving force, yeah. Well, you just gave one more tip for everyone who may be going at this through period of dance depression or just dance frustration because morning pages, it's absolutely excellent exercise that you just do a free-flowing writing in the morning. That's the first thing you do in, the, in, in your day. And then observing what comes after a while, like again and again. And that's really free-flowing, free not analyzing, not worrying about grammar mistakes, but like just... That's a clean in your mind and then seeing afterwards, uh, noticing what's come up, it uh, really can uh, highlight the direction to go in order to get out of the state and get to the right. next uh, level. So very interesting you know, to hear about um, your experience. It's, it's so important. And my mother, when, when, when I was little, my mother, um, she taught so many people, you know, she, she, she taught so many people. And my mom was very frustrated with, um, there was a trend. Well, and I mean, people still do this where you take six months, you know, and then you start teaching, you know, and my mother, or even one year or two years even, and you start teaching, you know, and uh, my mother would say, it's not right. She, and she would say, and I was very little. She said, I should be the one to certify people who can teach my format. And I remember that stuck in my head and I went ding. <laughs> and I knew that by like carrying on my mother's um, values for this art form, I was gonna have to start the certification program. And that's what motivated me to start the certification program was her her sadness, her frustration in, in seeing people kind of just come in and, and then this consumer mentality, you know, oh, I, bought these classes I have this material now I can use it for what I want you know and it's and art doesn't art doesn't shouldn't work like that you know well moving on to the teaching experience of course another question that I cannot not ask is about a famous Salimpur method of teaching and their certification program that uh, it's one of the things that you also your family is famous for so can you tell a little bit more about this Sure. Where, well, you know, it's a perfect segue because, um, my, you know, my dream was to be able to do this for my mother. And I felt that it was a, a, it was time in our art form that there was a type of structure and format. And my mother was the first person to codify names with movements and belly dance, you know, and she was the first person to put names with steps. And she worked with many different types of dancers from all over the Middle East and North Africa. And she saw trends and similarities and consistencies and she would document it, you know. Um, and I felt that also, and this was revolutionary, you know, to the belly dance world. And then when I was um, into dance and all the other dance forms and also I was very fascinated with how belly dance was so, uh, there was such a lacking of body awareness and understanding, you know. So in other dance forms, you know, I really understood how the mechanics of the movement, you know, was on my body. Where in belly dance, you know, I didn't understand. It was like a feeling, you know, and follow me. And But there wasn't a structure. And I was watching dancers also get injured, 
you know, so there was this, so I really, um, felt that, you know, my, my contribution was breaking down the movements muscularly and figuring out like how the movement is internal. And then that, you know, paired with my mother's vocabulary and my understanding of the anatomy and physiology of movement and bringing that together. Um, I felt that that was, you know, what I wanted to focus on. And the certification program was a natural evolution of that because creating a uh, school with a foundation where there's, you know, it's like martial arts, you know, you, you, you go to martial arts, you're a white belt and you learn certain things and then you have a test and now you're a yellow belt. And then you learn certain things and you, and then, so when you say, oh, I'm a black belt, oh, I know that you know some things. Or if you say I'm a green belt or I'm a brown belt or I'm a yellow belt, I, I know what that means. Even though I've never taken martial arts, <laughs> I know that you might, but in belly dance, if you tell me I've been studying for 10 years, it means nothing. I don't know what you know. If you say I've been studying one year, I don't know what that means. If you say 20, some people say I've been teaching for 15 years, that doesn't mean, I don't know what that means. You know, does it mean you've been teaching because you took six months and then started teaching? Does it mean you've been teaching and you stopped taking? Does it mean you're teaching because you're watching videos and teaching? Like, that doesn't mean anything. So I felt that the certification program was important for my family, for the legacy, for my mother's work, and for creating a pathway for dancers to not just learn movements, but be educated, get the history how about a little bit of cultural <laughs> for me, you know, like context, context. And so, um, yeah, the school is very dedicated to the educational process of the student, not just, Ooh, this is really cool move. I did. <laughs> so in terms of certification, does it has like one level or several different levels, like in martial arts too, <laughs> you compare it to different belts. How does your certification work in this sense? <laughs> Well, now we have um, now we have the Suhila Salampur Institute of Online Education, and we have um, it's it's like an academic structure. So we have semesters, and the 100 levels is the basic, you know, foundation, and then we have um, 200, and in the 100 levels you have 101 and 102. That's Suhila format foundation. Jamila vocabulary is 102. Then in 200 levels you have Suhila technique and format and foundation and Jamila vocabulary. And then there's in the 300 level, you have performance preparation, you have teaching uh, preparation, like learning how to teach, break movements down, wording, execution, um, just basic. I, we teach teachers, you know, um, that's in the 300 level, 400 level. And then the 500 level is also your teaching certificate. And in the 400 level, there's the performance opportunities and performance preparation and so we guide students through if they want to become performers if they want to become teachers if they just want to you know raise their level of dance so there's a full possibility of a whatever somebody wants you know ah now i understand all those numbers because when i was looking on the page of your uh, school uh, on social media you have all this abbreviation for s for something i was like wait i don't understand what that means now i understand it's the names of courses probably <laughs> like <laughs> jay jamila level four. <laughs> it's not like 100 uh, hours or 100 uh, like uh, tutorials it's like 100 like sort of like a, like an institution in the university you have like courses 100 uh, level courses 200 level <laughs> that's interesting that's exactly it it's designed like a university and then even when you go through the program you, you know you have to have continued education like you get let's say you get a certificate it doesn't mean that I never see you again and that's that because the the school is always growing you're growing we're growing together so you have you know continued um, education hours um, that we every level but it is like going to college it's semester based now mm -hmm. as well yes and for your students and the institute, is it for someone who may come from literally zero level or 
like university, they already need to know at least some basics and then you craft and polish them into professional teachers or performers. <laughs> well, you know, um, so I have a huge online class school, right? So we have the Institute, but we have online classes, which is separate. So anybody can take an online class. Anybody can go in and just do level one, an hour and a half class, a 90 minute class and do level one. So before you go into the Institute, we think it's a good idea that you take at least three or four level one classes online just to know what the warm-up is going to be like, you know. But to be honest, the I really love the student that comes to our school with no belly dance background at all. <laughs> it's always the easiest for them because they're not having to relearn things or break bad habits or like – they're not coming with anything in the back of their head of what they should be doing. You know, sometimes I have dancers that have been professional for years and years and they go, Oh, I don't want to go to level 100. And I'm like, just trust me. Everybody starts beginning, you know, and then they go and they're dying because not because it's so hard, but because their idea of what they should be doing is hard on their ego, you know? And then I have the student that comes in. She's never had any belly dance before. And she's doing great because she doesn't know. It, she, she's not she's not putting any pressure, you know. They, they're just experiencing the workshop open, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's interesting. You just never, yeah, you never know. Your online activities, uh, did they start, like, let's say, recently with uh, the world wave of online <laughs> education or did you start putting your uh, dance uh, uh, educational programs online uh, way before that well i started i was the first person to have online classes actually i started online classes in 2008 and everybody thought i was crazy Everybody said, no, what are you doing? And I said, you know, I said, I'm telling you, it's the future. <laughs> so um, one of the reasons why during COVID we could just segue immediately into the Institute and actually create more support for our students was because I had the online classes and I have thousands and thousands of hours of classes, choreographies, different stylizations, Suhela format, Jamila vocabulary. I mean, there's just so much that was already in the infrastructure, already there. So, yeah. So we we were excited to go and create the Institute because we were, it was already happening. Like I was already creating the Institute and I was concerned that, because I've been traveling so much. I've been traveling since I was 14. This is the first time because of COVID that I've been home this long since before my 14th birthday. And so I'm like, my body is very happy and I'm sleeping in my own bed. And there's like a wonderful, <laughs> there's a wonderful side to the tragedy, you know, of, of all of this. But, um, but the Institute was happening and I was wondering, like, I, I didn't know how I was going to be able to make the transition between touring so much and having people follow me into the institute because the institute for me and for the education of the students is way more involved and personal. You have one-on-one -on -one personal feedback just with you, your body, and what you're doing. I mean, it's there's nothing like it out there, you know, in any dance form. So, so because of COVID, students were forced. And now our student body is like, oh, my God, this is the best. <laughs> so, yeah, that's great. And how many students uh, do you accept in your institute? Well, I have an incredible staff. So it's not just me. I have a certification coordinator. I have an institute coordinator, and they both work full time. And then I have support team from my level five instructors. And so... We don't have a limit because I have an incredible staff. So it's not, it takes a village. <laughs> it just, you mentioned about individual feedback and that takes time. Oh, yeah. That's why I was curious. Like, okay, there has to be some limit. It's because, not me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like I might handle your first take of a choreography and then you might get Angie for your second take. But your drills that you're you're submitting every week, you might be submitting those to Abby to get feedback on your posture, your arms, your execution, your timing. 
But then your music and your grid work and your emotional preparation, you're working with me on. So, yeah. And then you have a quiz every week on the history and culture. And <laughs> but it still takes a lot of time. So I can only imagine it's more than a full-time job. <laughs> yes, but it is definitely. But it's um, the future of the school, the Salampore School. It's the future. And it's also where I'm going to see, I'm seeing that I'm getting the most results for the students. It's like you have a one-on-one -on -one personal coach online. It's a, it's really something. So yeah, it's great. That's awesome. Well, speaking about uh, your team, uh, well, I'm not sure if it's appropriate to put it this way, but at the same time, at some point, you got addition to your family that also got uh, became an addition to ballet dance uh, community. It's your daughter. <laughs> so yeah. for you, uh, becoming a mother, you you briefly mentioned about this renegotiation again of your identity, but then. Uh, Later, being a mother and seeing your daughter expressing interest in dance, what feelings did it, uh, um, like, let's say, cause in you? <laughs> well, you know, Isabella is so different than I am. Like, she's an extrovert and I'm an introvert, you know, like, so she's like, um, she's more like my mom, actually. It's really great. But when... When Isabella started to show an interest, I thought, I mean, it was adorable. And of course, my mother was thrilled, right? And I was scared because my mom was excited, of course, because my mom was like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> the third generation. And I was like, oh, no, you know, because I, I was worried for Isabella because I know what I went through. It was very difficult. Like you mentioned, the pressure was unbelievable. And what's worse than being Jamila's daughter would be Jamila's granddaughter and Suhaila's daughter. <laughs> like, like <laughs> Isabella had it worse than me even, you know, like the expectation, the amount of pressure she had. And I, so I kept a really close eye on Isabella because I wanted to make sure that she could be a kid. She could be young. She didn't have to do this. Um, I didn't expect anything from her. She could go to birthday parties on the weekend. I I was working with my mom on the weekend. I didn't get birthday parties, you know. I had to like, you know, I didn't really have a childhood so much and I and I made sure Isabella had all of that, but I kept a close eye. But the the real challenge that my mother didn't have that I had was that I have a generation of being parent a parent when social media was being birthed. And this was very difficult for me because social media and Facebook and all the, these platforms where I was so scared for my daughter to be um, overexposed, to be seen, to be objectified, to, to be. So I it was very difficult, but I I really like pulled her back from all of that. And the only time that she was scene was during Balanat with me and with my mother in a situation where it was family um, or in one of my theater productions where, again, it's on stage in a theater show with her family. Um, and she used to beg me. She wanted to be in, in movies. She wanted to be in commercials. She want, And I was like, nope. <laughs> so I... It's wonderful now, you know, as she's gotten older, I've been watching her and she truly has a love for this dance. She truly has a love for her family's business, too. She's so proud of what her grandmother did. She's so proud of me, you know. Um, but and she, you know, she's she's really good. <laughs> she's really talented. And that helps. <laughs> but at any time in her life, if she said, no, nah, this isn't for me, I was ready. I'm ready for it, you know. So, but it's it's beautiful. When when um, Isabella and I, when we dance together, there's nothing like it. There's no, there's nothing like it, you know. So now what you like more, being a soloist or being in, in the duet? <laughs> oh, a duet, way better, way better. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, too, because I think that um, – you know, I, I learned really early on that I couldn't be a soloist and a director of a school at the same time. Like, I mean, I could try, but both would suffer, right? 
And being a soloist, there's a certain amount of narcissism. You have to have health, healthy narcissism to be a soul. Truly, really, because I know I had, I had it, I did it, <laughs> you know. And that's important to have because there's this drive, you know, and and you have to do it well, you know. But when you direct a school, your ego is in all, is in everyone, the, the extension, right, of you. It's like my ego now, mine, where I get my, like, I puff up with pride is when I look at my students. And I, my ego, my pride is in the extension of the school. Like, look what we built. Look at this school. Look at the certification program. I mean, I can look at the belly dance community and I know that, the Salampur school is an example. I know that people look at the school and they use the school and the structure of the business I have set as a role model and example. That that means something, <laughs> you know. So, you know, it was hard to do both. I had to choose. So choosing the school, choosing to direct the school, choosing to direct students and the next generation of dancers will live on past me. You know, my show, I go out on stage, I was great, and everybody applauded, and then I walk off the stage, and then it's over. But what I've built will last when I'm not on this planet anymore. And that's something. Well, that's for sure, and not only for three generations of ballet dancers, but for many, many, many more in the future. Ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, speaking of your educational program, so where can uh, dancers, listeners who maybe heard about this uh, somehow, maybe, but for the first time, where in general they can find more information and follow maybe your dance activities? Uh, maybe you have any favorite social media <laughs> that you, you use and share a little bit of dance or where they can find more information about your um, online classes and, of course, uh, online institute, the school. We have, um, <laughs> thank you, the, the social media plug, yes, exactly. Well, we have um, Salampur School Online, and we have, there's two websites, Salampur School and then Salampur School Online. So Salampur School will take you to Salampur School Online. But the website is really designed and dedicated to education. So it's an educational platform. There's so many articles, there's so many videos, there's, a, you know, a music list, there's, it's just so full, prepare to spend a couple hours, you know, looking through the <laughs> the Salampur School website. And the institute is inside the Salampur School website, yeah. And then, of course, we have all the things. We have Facebook. I have Suhaila Salampur personal. I have Suhaila Salampur public figure. We have Instagram. We have the school and Suhaila Salampur. We have a Spotify, like we have all the things, yeah. Mm. Well, I definitely will add uh, uh, links to your social media and to your website. So for all listeners, uh, whoever is listening, you know, you can, in the show notes, you can easily connect with our guest. And I highly encourage to check websites. It'll be very exciting continuation of uh, this uh, conversation by digging more into the educational material. So go definitely check. And uh, also... Um, I kind of feel, of course, we skipped so many things, but we kind of went through some key points. <laughs> and we talked today about so much, starting from like uh, growing up and getting into the dance career and uh, feeling as a performer and even going through dance depression and then going into teaching. And of course, your current like uh, focus activity of certification program and online school like these days. So... Thank you so much for uh, taking this time and sharing uh, with us today. It was really a great pleasure. And uh, something tells me, and I sincerely hope this is not our last <laughs> interview and conversation for the podcast. No, I would love to. Yes, no, anytime. I, I think it's really important to keep a conversation going all the time. So just know that I'm available to you anytime. I'd love to do this again. This is fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'm already excited about uh, volume two or edition number two. But yes, 
I would love that. Before we uh, sum, I mean, before we finish, I would like to sum up our conversation uh, with our traditional question because we have one question which I ask every single guest, uh, almost from the very beginning of existence of this podcast, uh, and I ask regardless of what we talk during the interview. And the question is. What makes you fall in love with belly dance again and again so you keep doing it for so many years? <laughs> we we kind of covered this, right? What makes me fall in love with belly dance over and over again is the idea of self-value and self-love and also community. Because it's the dance that has been here for me in my life, no matter what has come in. As a child, dance gave me hope. As a young girl, it gave me security. As a wife, it gave me foundation. As a mother, it gave me strength. And when I buried my mother, it gave me legacy and future. So it's continue. It's continuous. It's not one thing. It's a part of it. It's your path. And that's it for today, guys. But before you go away, don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends. And if you post it on social media, please tag me and our guest because we love seeing who is listening to the podcast. Thanks for being with us and I'll see you next week. Same time, same place.